would turn with me, please, to the book of John, the gospel as recorded by John, in chapter 20. And we read together for the message, verses 24 through 29. A familiar text of scripture, I am sure. Nevertheless, one that I hope that we should glean fresh grace from today. Psalm uh, John 20, verse 24. But Thomas, Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus. Thomas being, of course, the Hebrew expressed in the Hebrew in the original, and Didymus being the Greek name. Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. This is after the resurrection. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them this time. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not Faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Stand with me, please, and we sing again for the message, number 516. How heavy is the night? Oh, 
A doubter's resolution. I want this morning, for just a short time, to address our hearts on this subject of a doubter's resolution. The thought suggests itself from the text which I've read in your hearing John chapter 20, verse 24 through 29. Some, in days gone by, have taken exception with this description, that is, of referring to Thomas as a doubter here, and have claimed rather that his actions stem from altogether a different motive. They say that his confidence and purpose was to be certain that there was no counterfeit. Someone counterfeiting the Lord's Christ. That his noble was, his purpose was altogether noble. In that he wanted to be certain that this was the real Christ. Some have held that view. But I concur with Dr. Gill and many others who see in this scene a clear testimony 
of a heart. A believer's heart. Yet, struggling with unbelief. I said a believer's heart. Struggling with unbelief. I say to you this morning that it is a very novice believer. And one that is little experienced in the pilgrim pathway who cannot testify crying out with deep tears in verse 24 of Mark chapter 9 crying out what that desperate father cried out in that verse Mark 9 24 Lord I believe Help thou mine unbelief. I say it's a very inexperienced and novice pilgrim who has not cried out those words in Mark chapter 9 and verse. 24. You know the story. The man comes. He seeks the Lord for a son. And he believes that the Lord can heal him. And so he comes to him. And he speaks to him. And then he says, Lord, I, the Lord says, if you believe, Jesus said to him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believe it. And he said, Lord, I do believe. I believe, but oh, this curse of unbelief is still with him. Most of you Greek students, you know that word belief. There is it is a full and confident persuasion. The word he uses there. But then unbelief. The word he uses is ah, pistia. It is the opposite. It is to count a thing as incredible or untrustworthy. So this man testifies in one and the same breath. Lord, I have a full and confident persuasion, but I also count it incredible and untrustworthy. And what is doubt but unbelief? What is doubt but unbelief? And so he cries out, Help, Lord. It's a Greek word that has the imagery of running to relief. Lord, run to my relief. Run to me. The image of the mother hears the child. Suddenly there's a cry that she recognizes. It's not like other cries mothers can 
know the difference, can't they? Suddenly she hears a cry that's, this is not just disappointment or discomfort. This is serious danger. And she rushes to the relief. And that's the word that he uses. Lord, I have confidence. I'm persuaded. But, but also in me there's this, this difficulty of incredibility, incredulity, untrustworthy. And so he says, Lord, Run, run to my relief. I've already said it, but I'll say it again. Who that knows anything of his own heart doesn't know the pain in one degree or another of this affliction. Believe it, but not believe it. I realize that in some circles, Circles from which, from which some of us have come. It is considered not believable, not credible, not true that a true believer can have unbelief. And in fact, they would say, in their trite, ridiculous way, they would say, you just need to get saved. You haven't been saved. That's your problem. If you're struggling with doubt, you just need to get saved. That's what they would say. What a folly. What a foul and damnable doctrine. Lord, I believe. I have confidence, but I also struggle with this. Help me. So then to our soul's edification... You'll give me just a few minutes this morning. I would like to give consideration to a doubter's resolution. Or, if you'd put it another way, the saints struggle with resolve. I would set before your minds in the first place, number one, the root of their resolution. The root of the believer's resolution, that is resolution to believe, resolution to forsake all and follow Christ. Oh, where do we find the original root of believing in the experience of this man, Thomas. Where do we see the root of his believing? Well, I think it's referred to in John chapter 2. You remember in John chapter 2 is this record of that setting of The Lord Jesus turning water into wine and that miracle there at the wedding of Canaan. You remember the text very well. And then when you get to chapter, to to chapter two and verse 11, we find these words. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee and manifested for his glory and His disciples believed on him. (laughs) 
Oh, here's a root. Surely, here's a root. Here's one of the roots of Thomas's first resolve to follow Christ, to believe Him. Here it is. This can be nothing. This can be nothing. I say to you than the result of a new heart, a new birth, the work of the indwelling of a new spirit, God's Holy Spirit. This is the root of all believing, biblical and saving, believing the new birth. John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 7, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. This is the root of believing. This is the root of that resolve. Born again. Well, that rich young ruler, which is just the terminology that we have become accustomed to using, that rich young ruler, he never had it. He never had this root. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, you know the story well. One came and said, Good master, what thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And then the Lord begins to instruct him as to who he's talking to. And then he starts to instruct him as to what it would take for him to be perfect. If thou wilt be perfect, verse 21. He had given him all the commandments, quoted off all the commandments, and he said, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done that, I've done all of this. And then he says, all right, if you would be perfect, sell all that thou hast, give to the poor, verse 21, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You know the story well. I said he had not this root in him. He had not this new birth that begets a new belief. He had it not in him. Paul clearly stated it to those Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There is that new birth. This testimony in Matthew chapter 19, I said to you, is not faith mingled with doubt, but it is rather utter unbelief clinging desperately to a false hope. I want to say that for you again, because you need to understand that, young man. That is a classic text to demonstrate the need of the new birth I said his testimony. He went away grieved because he had great possessions 
And I'm saying to you this morning that that testimony in Matthew 19 is not a testimony of faith mingled with remaining doubt, which is what I've been talking about. But it is rather an illustration of unbelief clinging desperately to a false hope works. I've done this. I've done that. I've obeyed this. I've obeyed that. He's clinging to that. The root is unbelief. So this morning, my dear friend, struggling friend, you may ask the question, how do I know the difference in my own heart? How do I know the difference? How do I know whether I'm a believer with residing unbelief? Or whether I'm an unbeliever holding on to a false belief? What is my state? How can I know? I would pass on to you two very simple, unavoidable questions from that text and you may answer them. Number one, do you have any confidence? Any confidence whatsoever in what you do? That's exactly what his problem was, wasn't it? What I did, I did, I did, I did this. I obeyed that, I obeyed that, I did that. Oh, if you've got any remaining confidence whatsoever in what you've done, you're an unbeliever holding on to a false hope. Simple question. Do you have any confidence in your performance? It's something you do? Something you think? Do you have any confidence in that? If you do, you're an unbeliever. And question number two from that text. Is there something you won't give up? Is there something you won't give up? I use that in the jail a lot. Because that is, that is, that is excellent simplicity. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to understand all the tenets of the gospel. I ask you a simple question. Here is the Lord's Christ and here is your heart. Is there anything you'd go to hell for and not give up for Christ? It's a simple question. Oh, am I a struggling, doubting believer or am I an unbeliever? Answer me this. Is there anything you wouldn't give up for Christ? Your pride? Your performance? Your work? Your character? Your riches? Your life? Is there anything you wouldn't give up for Christ? Then you're just like that rich young ruler. You're an unbeliever. So I give you the root of Thomas's resolution. It's the same as the root for every other saint in the world. We read it right there in his testimony. The disciples believed Christ. That was the root. Number two I give you this morning. The resilience of this resolution. How strong 
can it be in the life of Thomas? How strong is the resilience of this belief, this confidence, this resolution? Well, we find the answer to that in John chapter 11 for Thomas. You remember, and I won't read it, because you remember the account there of Lazarus. Lazarus has died and Mary and Martha sent for the Lord. But if he's to go there, he's going to be in grave danger. They've already tried once to kill him there. Verse 7 and 8 of chapter 11 then after that saith he to his disciples, let us go to Jerusalem. And his disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and go, goest thou thither again? If you go back, you're going to die. They're going to kill you. Then we pick up the reading again at verse 12. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he spoke, had spoken of taking rest of sleep. Jesus said unto them, Plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Verse 16, then Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow, fellow disciples said, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Oh, the resilience of this resolution when faith is active and working. Here is the resolution of this faith. Yes, here is the resilience that a sometimes doubter can have at other times. <laughs> Here in the midst of the multitude of miracles, in the presence of Christ Himself day and night, here in the warm light of a sunny day versus the cold dark of that future garden night, here doubt is banished and faith is big, full of vigor and reigns supreme. Oh, the resilience of those warm seasons. Hallelujah. Thomas said he's determined to go. Let's go with him. We're going to die with him. Hallelujah. Oh, blessed be God, Brother John. I don't spend a lot of time there. But I thank God for those warm seasons when He comes and, and faith is strong and His sight is clear. And God gives me the resilience to say, Yes, I'll go. I'll die with Him. I can't die without Him. Oh, the resilience. Of this resolution. Oh it's in these. Precious seasons. That faith. Lays her firm hand. Firm hand. On that rock that's higher than I. And nothing. 
Nothing seems impossible. Death itself may be faced with the boldness of a lion and all doubt is driven into exile while the soul bathes itself in his glorious power. Oh, in such seasons, a little David can march out and take down a Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. In such seasons, a Caleb 85 years old can cry out in Joshua 14, Give me that mountain! I can take it, I can take it. Oh, in times like this, when doubt is trampled underfoot and faith has set Christ clearly before the mind, a Joshua can crush a Jericho with nothing more than ram's horns and shouts. Oh, in times like this, a Gideon can crush the entire Amalekite Midianite army with nothing less than 300 obedient servants armed with nothing more than trumpets and pottery pitchers. Oh, when faith stands on the mountain of God's promises and looks over God's enemies, a Moses can discomfort Amalek and build an altar and call it Jehovah Nisi, God my banner. Oh, there's a resilience in faith when it's unclouded that will embolden a Peter to draw his sword in defiance of the whole Roman legion. While without it, that same Peter will flee from the voice of a little woman. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, the resilience of this resolution at times. Doubting castle is closed up and sealed. And joy reigns in the doubter's resilience. When faith cries out, let us go. We'll die with him. We'll die with him. But oh, it's not always so, is it? Alas, alas, while we yet remain in this mortal clay, that old man, Ephesians 4.22, is always with us and always casting handfuls of poison in God's pure stream of promise. Casting handfuls of poison in God's pure stream of promises. Brings me to my third point. The regression of resolution. Matthew chapter 26. A great multitude, the scripture tells us, in verse 55 and 56, a great multitude came out after our Lord. Verse 55 said, In that same hour, when said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might full be fulfilled. 
And then we read these very sad words. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. All included Thomas. He's gone. He's gone. He fled the rest of them. Oh, the word here in the Greek, the word fled, is not, it doesn't translate he left. They left. It wasn't just that they left. No, no. They fled. The Greek word is to flee with alarm like a flock of frightened sheep in the hands of a vicious animal. That's how they flee. Dear old Dr. Gill said, everything in this account is an aggravation of their ingratitude and pusillanimity as they, as that they were the disciples of Christ. They forsook him whom he had called and sent forth as his apostles to preach the gospel to whom he had given extraordinary gifts and powers who had forsaken all and fallen him and had been with him from the beginning and I could add here and had testified previously they'd die with him. They've forsaken him. And yet these at last forsake him and not even one but all of them. John, the beloved disciple that learned, leaned on his bosom. Peter, that professed so much love to him, so much zeal for him and faith in him. And three that had just seen him in his agony and bloody sweat. And every one of them left him. Gil says. Not one stood behind him. And this too after they had had a fresh instance of his power just then. In striking men to the ground that came to take him. And when he was suing for them with his enemies to let them go peaceably. So that they had no need to have fled in such a manner. To leave him then in the midst of his enemies and his great distress and trouble was very ungrateful. But such is the state when faith is in resignation. And that old nature of unbelief has drowned the resolute heart in unbelief. Do you hear me? I said that old nature of unbelief has drowned the resolute heart in unbelief. Oh, it's in just such times of weakness that our enemy crouched at the door of our hearts like a ravenous lion 
rushes in like a flood to steal all of our confidence and all of our peace and wither the precious flower of hope with the foul breath of his lies. Oh, in times like this, and Elijah who has withstood all of Baal's false prophets and called down fire out of heaven. 1 Kings 18, times like this, that Elijah will cower and flee like Thomas did for his life in the very next chapter. 1 Kings 8, 19. Oh, who among us today that has not felt the numbing, damning power of this regression. Faith's regression. Sometimes it comes in the night, doesn't it? In the still and quiet and darkness of the night. It creeps in like a serpent. Doubting God. Doubting God. Oh, ask. Just like he questioned Eve. Yea, hath God said? Faith's regression. The regression of the doubters. Resolution. The next thing you know, you're asking, oh, have I missed it? Did he really save me? Will he really save me? The regression of resolution in Thomas's life. Here it is on open display in Matthew 26. But I give you my final point this morning. I'd like to say a word about the restoration. Of resolution. I've shown you the root of it in Thomas's life. I've shown you the resilience of it at times in Thomas's life. Oh, I've shown you the painful regression of it in Thomas's life. But now this morning, I would bring you back at last to the text from which I had begun. And show you the restoration of resolution. Oh, listen in this text. Listen again in this text. Verse 26. When Jesus, sorry, verse 26. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas, Thomas, Thomas is named. <laughs> Thomas is with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then he turns to Thomas. And he says to Thomas, Thomas, reach hither thy finger, because he's the one who said he wanted to put his finger in the scar. So reach hither thy finger, Thomas. The Lord heard you. When you were 
in regression. Behold my hand and reach hither thy hand because he's the one that said he wanted to thrust his hand in his side and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. Oh, oh, oh. oh, here's the blessed restoration to which every saint may confidently look. Yes, I said you may confidently look to it. Because look, verse 28 of his testimony, Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. It's all gone now. The doubt's all gone now. Here's the doubter's restoration. Blessed Dr. Gill said, Thomas knew that Christ was fastened to the cross with nails and that his side was pierced with a spear, which he, though not present, might have had from John who was an eyewitness thereof, but though they had all seen him alive, he will not trust to their testimony. Nay, he was determined not even to believe his own eyes. He didn't say, I believe when I see it. He said, no, i got to feel it. I want to touch it. He was determined not even to believe his own eyes. Unless he put his finger into as well as salt, the print of the nails and thrust his hand into his side as well as beheld the wound made by the spear, he's resolved not to believe. Can I just pause the reading there and just say this? Some struggle with unbelief to the extent that you can lay before them the promises of God in plain words, in simple words laid out with all the earnestness that the gospel can bring to it. And they sit and look at it and say, I'm still determined I will not believe. That's where Thomas was, Dr. Gill says. He said in his sin of unbelief is the more aggravated. Inasmuch as this disciple was present at the raising of Lazarus from the dead by Christ. And had heard Christ himself say that he would rise from the dead the third day. We may learn from hence. Now listen, Dr. Gill's going to teach us. We may learn from this how great is the sin of unbelief and that the best of men are subject. The best of men and women are subject to it. And that though this was overruled by divine providence to bring out another proof of Christ's resurrection, yet this did not excuse the sin of Thomas. And it may be observed that as Thomas would not believe without seeing the marks of the nails and the spear in Christ's flesh, so many today 
will not believe unless they find such and such marks in themselves which often prove very ensnaring and distressing. But our God in Christ has made provision even for these. Hallelujah. You say, what's the provision? What's the answer? I'll tell you what it is. Go back to Calvary and look at the marks. What's the cure for dear old Thomas? What's the cure for his heart disease? Oh, look at the marks. Thomas, look at the marks. I say to you this morning, saint and sinner alike. Oh, when doubt rears its ugly, vile head and breathes its foul breath in your face, go back to Calvary and look at the marks. Look at the marks. That'll restore you. That's the restoration for the doubter. Go back to Calvary. Oh, go to Calvary. And look again. Can I just tell you, my dearly beloved saint, if you find your heart today in such a digression, I say to you, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Him. He has already planned your restoration. Hallelujah. You hear me? Oh, if I could talk to, if I could have talked to Thomas that night, I'd say, Thomas, before you fled the other night, before you fled the other night, nay, before you testified with bold confidence that you'd die with him, nay, before your first belief there at that wedding in Timon, he had already planned this meeting to shore up your faith, bolster your resolution, and prepare your heart for a martyr's entrance. He'd already planned it. Hallelujah. The restoration of the doubter's resolution. He's already planned it. Yes, he has. Oh, blessed grace, hymns, Henry Fowler said this, Ye pilgrims of Zion and chosen of God, whose spirits are filled with dismay, since ye have eternal redemption through blood, ye cannot but hold on your way. As Jesus in covenant love did engage a fullness of grace to display. The powers of darkness and malice may rage. The righteous shall hold on his way. Oh, the truth like its author eternal shall stand. Though all things in nature decay upheld by Jehovah's omnipotent hand. The righteous shall hold on his way. They may in the storm of temptation be tossed. Their sorrows may swell as the sea. But none of the ransom shall ever be lost. The righteous shall hold on his way. 
Oh, surrounded with sorrows, temptations, and cares. This truth with delight we survey. And sing as we pass through this valley of tears. The righteous shall hold on his way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The righteous shall hold on his way. He's already planned for it. Restoration. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Restoration. My dear beloved, we are all doubters. All. But while restoration, sorry, while resolution had its root and shows that sometimes great resilience, it will at times regress, but our God will see to its restoration. Amen. Stand with me. Sing together again. In number 515. Tis by faith of joys to come. We walk through the desert's darkest night. Till we arrive at heaven our home. Faith is our God. Faith our light. Stand with me please. Fill the way. 